Hey guys, this is Chris Roth here with Bushido Squirrel with your weekly knock activism wrap up. Today we're going to be talking about a new homelessness campaign in the city. A quick update on the 2028 Olympics bid, the tragic death of Nipsey Hussle, a contentious idea regarding land use in Santa Monica, and some updates on the upcoming CD12 special election. How's it going, Bushido? Uh, it's going pretty well. I have to say, uh, for April Fool's Day, I, I didn't get burned too bad. Uh, okay. Uh, you know, I've become very cynical. Uh, but I do want to give props to the L.A. Times because oh. their <laughs> April Fool's article was really good. Like this little backwater of New York that they're talking about that sounds completely oh, empty of good. culture and devoid of, of any civilized life as we consider it. I feel really bad for it. And, and I feel like what we really should do here in L.A. is send more of our reporters yeah. onto the Internet to read about New York and then write articles <laughs> about it. Um, and, and, you know, maybe talk to people who once briefly visited there about, you know, impressions of the city overall. But I feel like this New York could be explored and really, you know, turn into a world-class city if we all put our effort. It might just stop being a backwater at some point. Honestly, the links in the LA Times article were absolutely just jaw-dropping in terms of the, uh, shall we say... Uh, high-minded and uh, disdainful attitude that the city, that these reporters from the New York Times take toward everything we do here in L.A. Yeah, no, it was it was a good takedown. So uh, big, big props to the L.A. Times. And I'm going to, for no other reason than solidarity with labor, say that, you know, this belongs to the L.A. Times Guild. Like, that's why that article oh, hell yeah. got written. So the L.A. Times is pumping out some really good content. Editorial board still sucks. <laughs> but... Uh, today I was actually I was out at the uh, Services Not Sweeps launch uh, conference and speak at the oh, LA yeah. Times. Uh, Emily Alpert Reyes was out there. She does some oh, nice. great work as the local reporter here covering City Hall uh, and her Twitter feed. If you're not following her on Twitter, really key to understanding local politics. But let's talk about the uh, the kickoff for this campaign. Yeah, so Ground Game has partnered with uh, the Los Angeles Community Action Network, the DSA Housing and Homelessness Committee, Koreatown for All, Chinatown Community for Equitable Development, and others to launch a program called Services Not Sweeps. The program was launched today, Wednesday, April 3rd, at a press conference in Echo Park. You can find information on this program and how to get involved on the website, www.servicesnotsweeps.com, and you can check out activity on Twitter Twitter on the issue by searching for the hashtag services not sweeps. Yeah, it was really interesting. Uh, Pete White was out there introducing, kind of running the press conference. Uh, they brought up another speaker, uh, Nafisa Ansar, and she's uh, currently unhoused, but was talking about her experiences uh, living at different encampments in the city and what it's like to try and live there, how hard it is. Um, and this is a woman who like had a career before she ended up unhoused a couple of years ago. And it was really striking to see someone up there who like there but for the grace of the Buddha go I. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, there was a really good press turnout. Um, there's a big encampment there, but it's pretty well contained and the folks kind of, you know, have their own little community. Uh, we did a little bit of community service afterwards because like one of the things with the sweeps is they don't actually pick up all the trash. No, they're not there to clean up. They're no. just there to... Uh, erase. There were just massive piles of trash around. There were some dumpsters filled that hadn't been picked up. Uh, it, it was one of these really strange things to see uh, and and to really realize that the, the sweeps that we have are more for intimidation. And it's, it's something where if you live in a house or you live in an apartment building, the amount of trash that you generate is probably greater than most unhoused folks. Like if you think oh, yeah. about the, the size of the trash can you fill up every week, if the city didn't come pick that up, how long would it take for your yard to look like an encampment? Uh, not very long for a lot of folks, especially for, for families with kids and like, you know, the, yeah. the, amount of, the amount of food waste that most people in the city produce. It's pretty astounding. And one of the big things that uh, the coalition was talking about today was ending this complaint model for getting sweeps done oh, yeah. where, yeah, you can call 311 and they'll show up and uh, take people's stuff because it's inconvenient for you. Um, and so they had some demands that they uh, that they laid out. And Jed laid these out. Uh, he's from uh, he's so uh, Housing and Homelessness yeah. and helps run the Street Watch team here. Uh, but I'm going to go ahead and lift, list these off because I think they're really important to talk about. So uh, one is remove all law enforcement personnel from any of the city's street cleaning teams and efforts. And this is something that, like, not just from a, a, an enforcement perspective, but, like, clear up that budget to have social workers out there. Uh, two, ensure all street and sidewalk cleaning is scheduled, regular, and well-publicized. So that would be an end to 311 sweeps. Like, you couldn't 
call and call in a complaint and get a, a team out there to sweep your neighborhood in like a day. Well, so that'd be an end to the the hope team sweeps. Yeah. I think I think three one one still sometimes triggers the regular sanitation sweeps, which then gets yeah. scheduled. But it's the hope well, team. Well, they can. There's also like if enough people complain, they'll send yeah. out a sanitation team without posting it. For also, sure. like one thing Nafisa was talking about was sometimes you don't see the sweep postings. It's just a white piece of paper that's posted up. Um, they don't come around and let you know it's going to happen. You know, they, they need to make it more clearly and readily to clear everything out. Yeah it's, yeah. it's not a viable way of dealing with these things at all. Yeah. Uh, demand number three is ensure appropriate resources are in place in advance of and during all scheduled cleaning. Cause again, you get more cops out there than you do social workers. And that's <laughs> you get any social workers. Yeah. And it's one thing where Lhasa is trying to staff up, but also it's where the city's putting their budget. Like yeah. these cops are getting paid overtime to do that. If they have to make an arrest, that's even more billable hours for them. And they're already yep. making a really, really good living. Uh, four is ensure an accountability system for city, street, and sidewalk cleaning procedures, including a complaint or grievance process and a response to any violations documented within three days. That's, yeah. Yeah, because totally we, reasonable. we know that the cops and we know that sanitation throws out people's medication and vital documents, despite the fact that a court order stops them from doing that. We know people have died. Joe Ray's died on the streets of Koreatown. There was another man who died a couple of weeks ago whose name escapes me, and I apologize for that. But down on Skid Row, he passed away from medical complications that were connected to the medicine that he wasn't able to keep because the cops kept throwing out his stuff. Like, that's one that's literally killing people. Um, and this is all stuff that the mayor could take care of pretty much by himself. We don't need policy changes. We don't need legislative changes. Garcetti could change the nature of sweeps in one order and literally save lives. And he's literally the roadblock that's stopping us from moving forward here. Yeah, it really makes a, it, it changes the way that you look at his sound bites that come out about ha. dealing with homelessness and dealing with the sanitization of the streets in advance of the 2028 Olympics. Yeah. That really like it, it's in sharp relief when you look at what he's talking about doing versus what these community organizations are going out there and actually doing on the streets. Like one of the things that I saw in the Twitter posts that were coming out today about this that really stands with you is these folks who are living in these encampments, they don't have any access to power. Which means that they don't have any access to any communication. LA Can system. brought out that dope yes, solar powered exactly. bike charging station. Like there's a lot of ingenuity so on Skin cool. Row. It's really weird. Like it's strange when you first come to the city and you hear somebody like General Jeff or like uh, Dogon say, hey, there's ingenuity and there's community on yeah. Skid Row because you don't think of it that way. And then when you go there and meet people and see what people are able to it's do awesome. with very limited reach, it's <laughs> freaking amazing, especially just the sense of community. But I'm really happy you talked about the Olympics because as we covered during the, the Rings of Hell podcast, the 84 games were preceded by massive sweeps across the city, getting rid of people who are unhoused around a lot of the Olympic sites. And you were at City Hall today because yeah. they were having a big hearing on that. Though it seems like City Hall knows there's um, antagonistic <laughs> opposition and wants to diminish it. Well, a combination of a, a few things, I think, all, all came together today. So uh, there were two or three things on the agenda today that were discussing uh, recommendations from the ad hoc committee that was established by city council to deal with uh, upcoming decisions about how the Olympics are going to be hosted in the city, what kind of uh, funding is going to be spent, and how it's going to be all dispersed. And uh, we, a, a number of activists uh, from the No Olympics Committee and, and allies had uh, all come together to try to make public comment related to these issues. And we've submitted our, our, our names onto the list, and we were trying to uh, get up there and get uh, you know two to three minutes of time to speak uh, on the microphone, on the record, in front of council, which they, of course, don't really pay that much attention to you. Uh, and unfortunately, the uh, when they did finally get to it, following a prolonged uh, celebration of the 150th anniversary of the founding of the Los Angeles Police Department, that took a, a good amount of time. Although they did start everything off with a, a celebration of Jane Goodall, which was kind of fun because she made chimpanzee noises in in the council chamber. And wait, she was there. Yeah, she was there. It was awesome. Oh wow! Uh, so that part was really cool. But uh, the part where LAPD uh, basically played their own infomercial and talked about how amazing they are and celebrated the uh, the first woman to be a part of their SWAT team with this. Extraordinarily, Look guys, we, we got a bunch of cops to investigate <laughs> the cops, and it turns out cops are awesome. 
Yeah. Also, they, they talked about how uh, the lifestyle of being a cop is not in any way glamorous. Meanwhile, they're playing all these clips from from movies that Hollywood has produced, portraying the lives of cops as being extraordinarily glamorous. So, uh, like, I mean, not necessarily glamorous in the sense of like making tons no, of money no, and living in high end hotels, but like these these are portrayals of cops as being these heroes and 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 talking about the you know the hard knock life of the uh, the the detective on the street trying to solve these crimes, and it's this just complete romanticization of um, romanticization of the uh, portrayal of the cops in the media and the cops that were there today had fully fully swallowed that pill and were 100% down for the cause and them applauding the uh, projections of the uh, the SWAT officers and all of their gear up on screen was uh, kind of spooky. No, it's it's one thing. And again, like uh, to reference Rings of Hell, we talked about the Police Quest games that were uh, co-produced or, or had uh, Daryl Gates's name on them. Yeah. Because at some point, he could sell stuff. Just think about how messed up that is that people are like, oh, Daryl <laughs> Gates likes this? Well, then I'm going to buy it. What a what a different world we live in. But I remember playing his video game SWAT, and it was actually like for 12-year-old me, it was fun. But there's a part where he says, LAPD SWAT is a life-saving organization. But like even as a kid, I was like, I don't think that's right. I mean, I guess they're life-saving for, mm, I mean, they have guns and they shoot people. So I don't know how that's really life-saving. As no, well and as it's, well, and that's the other thing is like, you know, ostensibly... They're supposed to. It, it feeds into this whole weird warrior myth that we have here, and a part of this is also feeding feeding into the Olympics, where you're like trying to make the world safe for people. Like LAPD doesn't want to be sweeping encampments. They won't don't want to be driving poor people out of their neighborhoods. They just have to do that for the good of society. I, mean, I just fully believe that they don't want to be part of the sweeps because they look bored as hell when they're doing it. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's pretty funny when you see the cops actually on that duty. Um, and it's a, another one that's kind of weird for me is how they're going to interface with the Olympics. Because, like, the last time the Olympics came to town, they got a tank, um, and they've already got a ton of helicopters. You know, maybe they're getting a fighter jet this time. But, like, I just know they're salivating it because they it's salivating at the idea of the Olympics because their budget's going to increase. They're going to get a whole bunch of private donations and grants. They're going to get a whole bunch of new toys and new powers to play with. And they're going to have to report to DHS. Well, yeah, and, and DHS is even more reactionary than yeah. our city council. Like, ah. So when we got, we we did finally get a chance to speak after all of this uh, glorification of the cops in front of uh, a very the, the the crowd was mainly there for Jane Goodall. They definitely thinned out after she left, um, but there was still a bunch of folks there for the cops. Good job, LA. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> uh, so when we finally did get to give our public comment, um, the uh, most of the members of the council were not really paying much attention to the speakers that were getting up. And uh, Rob Kwan and a couple of uh, and, and one of his colleagues related to the uh, the ethics commission um, pushing the ethics commission to uh, really reform. Uh, campaign finance in the city where yeah, they are. And they, the, they the made unreg, some, uh, unreg LA. Yeah, yeah. They, they made some really great comments and uh, were not really listened to by the council, but that's okay. That's what they do. And then uh, the Olympics uh, speakers got up and we were really were talking mainly about this uh, supposed play equity gap, which is uh, the idea that the city is going to fix all of its problems by providing more uh, green space f- and not, and I mean green space is great, but more uh, extracurricular activities for the kids that are going to be sponsored by the the proceeds from the Olympics. Yeah, this idea that like without the Olympics and that infusion of cash into the eighty four foundation, our kids will will not be able to do PE and stuff. And it's like you are the same folks who through LAUSD's board have been cutting art and music Absolutely. and PE yeah. and like recreation time and like the reason that we don't have after school activities in the city outside of private foundations is because of city hall yeah. like they're the ones doing that so it was really just very frustrating and i i spoke about the fact that there's a 160 million dollar loan that's been advanced by the ioc toward los angeles to start paying for some of these things which uh by the way there's a gentle reminder for everyone out there that we were promised that these games were not going to cost us any money. No, no, but with the accounting tricks, Chris, the accounting tricks. Yeah, so anyway, the IOC is apparently going to be loaning us $160 million, but of course that loan comes with a whole bunch of strings attached as to what we can actually pay for with it. Uh, and so at the, and you also have to remember that at the end of the day, 
if the city does manage to turn a profit on the games, which normally doesn't happen, but I will give us credit, we are one of the only cities to actually have done that. But there were a lot of reasons why that happened, and if you'd like to learn more about that, Rings of Hell episode one, we don't need to go into detail (laughs) with that here. So yeah, the the point is that if the city does make any money off of it, we're still extremely limited into what it is that we're able to allocate those funds to. And basically, it's a bad deal for the city to be uh, embracing this bid and moving forward with the 2028 Olympics. And there's a reason why two of the candidates for the mayor of Paris are both uh, basically campaigning on the idea of not hosting the Olympics in 2024. And uh, also, by the way, we got the 2028 bid as a consolation prize because... Well, not even a consolation. Literally only two cities wanted the Olympics for 2024 and 2028. Like, nobody was bidding on 2028. Boston yanked their bid after a vote. Yeah, and Denver and Calgary both just yanked their bids for uh, the Winter Olympics. Yeah, yeah. and Good times. Every every time the Olympics comes up for a vote, they lose. Every yeah. time they it, and they the IOC hates democracy. They yeah, hate it's, taking it's, that risk. I think the the polling that I had seen was that there's like 62 percent of Parisians are against hosting hosting the 2024 yeah. games. And here in L.A. it was about 48 percent based on the no Olympics polling. And that's you know, the, the polling was a little bit soft. It wasn't the, the biggest um, uh, 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 uh Sample the mm-hmm. sample size that you could get, but at the same time, they're the only ones doing it. The only other poll is one that was done by LMU for a city hall f- or by a city hall friendly like polling uh, uh, department within LMU, and that was like four years ago, five years ago at this point. And city hall has said we're not doing another poll, and none of the journalistic outlets like KPCC, KCRW, uh, any of the major cable stations, like no one in LA is doing that polling outside of like No Olympics, who like us at Ground Game are just scrappy organizers organizers who are so angry we will put in the sweat equity to do this but like honestly the folks who have the resources and the money and the expertise should be doing this before it's too late because all of these politicians who are trying to lock us in they're all out of office oh, by yeah. the time no, the games happen that, that, that's one of the great things about the Garcetti's comments about the sanitization of the streets is that he doesn't have to worry about this on his record because he'll be gone yep like he will definitely not be in office by the time the 2028 Olympics come by and uh, he doesn't have to worry about how many tents are in the street because it's going to not be his problem anymore. It also brings up the the question of the behested payments, which he's got a bunch of, oh, yeah. and those, so does like Mitchell Farrell and like a lot of guys. And like, so for those of you who don't know, behested payment is a corporation cutting a check to a politician to put into account that they can only use for nonprofits. And I, I forget if it's five hundred one c three specific, but they can't spend it themselves. But you know what you can do with $30 million in the bank that you a can lot. pay for favors for a nonprofits? <laughs> Pretty sure those folks want you on the board. Pretty sure they're willing to like recommend you as a job or as a, or as a lobbyist or as a consultant. Will you oh, get yeah. paid six, seven figures a year? Because like you'll be funneling that money right to the people who can keep you in power even if you're not elected. Yeah, it's all connected. It's all just a mess and really depressing. So yeah, it's as as we move forward. You know, one thing I keep coming back to is L.A. is so gerrymandered because like literally twenty people control your lives in this county, and that is pretty messed up. Five at the county board level and fifteen at city council. We need more representation, and until that happens, we're really locked in this brutal cycle where the the richest folks among us are going to control that narrative and like are able to stash the cash to keep themselves basically in power for life. Absolutely, we've got to do something about that. And speaking about somebody who was doing something and trying to like write this city let's move on to the very tragic death of uh, Nipsey Hussle uh, something that's been rocking South LA and and all of the kind of hip-hop community like this was uh, tragic and sudden and absolutely needless violence absolutely so uh, on Sunday South Los Angeles was rocked by the news of the murder of local rapper and entrepreneur Nipsey Hussle Hustle was killed by gunshot wounds to the head and torso on Sunday afternoon in front of the clothing store he owns down in Hyde Park. Los Angeles police arrested 29-year-old Eric Ronald Holder, uh, which that's a fun name for everybody to... No, the fact that he was named Eric Holder, like... Gave me pause for a second because I was like, wait, Obama's attorney general did what now? Uh, But then I realized it's not the same guy. But like also just very weird name. Absolutely. So uh, he's their main suspect and they did arrest him uh, today. Uh, So or was it yesterday? No, it was today. I believe. Okay. Either way, it's they've already found the guy. Uh, He has a seven million dollar bail. 
it happened real quick. Well, that was also something they put out an APB with his name and photo. Uh, and the and car that was, and license plate. Yeah, and like that was basically putting a hit out on someone. You know, like I, I oh for sure. When, you know, as much as I'm a pl- prison abolitionist, like at the same time, when a senseless murder like this happens or like gun violence happens, like there's get reactionary. Well, you also want just some semblance of like that person can't hurt anyone for a while. Like you want to know yeah. that that person who just like gunned three people down can't go out and do it again the next day. And yeah, like yeah. our police are our only mechanism for doing that. They probably didn't need to put his photo across the entire internet. Like that seemed like a pretty clear message to me that they were like, hey, if we don't like hear from you in the next couple of days, somebody else is probably going to track you down and they're probably going to be a lot more mad at you than our cops. Like that that felt to me like LAPD putting out a hit on someone. And we know they do that. Like they've started gang wars in the past. Yeah. So the motive of the killing at this point still remains unclear. But many people were quick to jump to... uh, uh, long-standing game, gang feuds and potentially Hustle's capacity to, for actually transcending those feuds and working together with some of his former rivals. Uh, those That was portrayed as one of the possible motives behind his, yeah. his attack. But others have been pointing to it being more of a personal dispute between Hustle and Holder, although it's unclear as to what that would have well, been. What I was reading today was um, uh, Holder had approached uh, Nipsey Hussle earlier. And here's the thing is Nipsey Hussle was, according to TMZ at least, at his store to get clothes for a friend of his who had literally just gotten out of jail. Like he was hooking up his yeah. friend who had been behind bars for 20 years with some new clothes to go meet his family. Holder apparently tried to talk to him. Hussle blew him off. Holder went and got a gun, fired at him, ran to a car, came back apparently, fired at him wow. again kicked Nipsey Hussle, got into the car finally, and left. Like, it was a That's... real grudge from what it sounded like. Wow. Um, but it was also one where, like, Nipsey Hussle was there without security that he usually has with him because it was a last minute, like, my friend just got out of jail. I want to give him clean clothes so he can go see his family for the first time in 20 years. But, yeah, it's immediately following the death of the rapper, there was uh, a bunch of proclamations that came out of the LAPD. Oh, the sober off the one. police commission. <sighs> Um, trying to, I, I don't. We don't know the validity of what Soberoff's well, claim so what, was. What we know is that uh, the community group that uh, Nipsey Hussle was working with, and I, it, it escapes me at the moment, uh, had contacted Soberoff to set up this meeting and said Nipsey Hussle wanted to be involved. So Nipsey Hussle did not reach out to LAPD. It was a group that Nipsey Hussle was working with who reached out to LAPD to talk about like violence mitigation and like how to kind of um, deter people from getting into gangs and like how to do youth outreach. So Nipsey Hussle did not talk to Steve Effing Soberoff. He didn't talk to LAPD. He was going to be a party to talks with those groups. But Soberoff just cockassiting the fuck out and trying to claim somebody else's legacy and like make it seem like him and Nipsey Hussle were like really like it was so disgusting and this man has so much power in our city right now and most people in the city do not know Steve Soberoff's name. Yeah, so that actually came up a couple of times this morning. Uh, Nipsey was uh, referenced by both Garcetti and Michael Moore as well as Soberoff at the uh, the 150th anniversary of the LAPD. They've never seen an opportunity they didn't want to capitalize on. Um, so on top of all of this, at a vigil that happened on Monday night, rumors of gunshots triggered a stampede, and more than a dozen folks were injured with sprained ankles from being trampled. Two folks were transported to nearby hospitals, one victim having sustained what was first reported as stab wound, but it turns out that it was likely a cut suffered from a piece of broken glass from a candle that was knocked over in the chaos. It was a pretty messy situation, but it was also one where LAPD did itself no favors. Uh, They released a statement uh, this morning talking about how they're going to do crowd control, like people will be able to move through the vigil, but you couldn't stop in front of it and you couldn't congregate there for an indefinite period of time. Crowd control, they could have been doing the day before to prevent that stampede, but LAPD didn't do their job because they don't show up in South Central to help and facilitate. They show up to crush and oppress. It was really messy. And then also USC decided to step in it. And if you don't know, like, so obviously Chris and I mentioned that we were both, you know, Trojans, yep. uh, one of us is successful and, and one of us not. <laughs> but hey, not everyone can, can you know, drop out and be a sexy jet setting editor <laughs> like me. Um, 
But USC's Department of Public Safety is basically a private police force. Yeah, oh, absolutely. They have a cross-jurisdictional agreement with LAPD that allows them to patrol, I believe it's two miles out now. When I went to school, it was a mile, but they've expanded it. So two miles out from USC, USC cops who work for a private university can arrest you as though they're LAPD. Also, most of them are basically retired LAPD from what I remember. Well, and they have some younger officers too, but they've also always had like a terrible racial profiling problem. Like when I went to school there... I, I remember once very vividly, I like crossed the street next to this guy who was very tall and you look at him and you're like, damn, man, do you play basketball? We get onto campus. Uh, we're over by where the, the student athlete gym is uh-huh. um, off of Jefferson, not the, the big. Gym, yeah. Yeah. But the, the one that's a little bit closer to Vermont. Yeah. Um, and so we're, we're crossing over on that intersection. And uh, as I'm walking through, we both jaywalk across the street, you know, cross in that <laughs> weird kind of like T intersection <laughs> no. they have. And as we get to the other no. side. Two DPS guys like call out to the guy who's walking next to me and are like, hey, you just jaywalked and asked him for his student ID because he was black. The While white, he's the short white, right next to yeah, you. Yeah, the short white guy that's like stoned out of his mind and stumbling his way to philosophy class, <laughs> pay no mind to, but like the tall black guy who plays fucking basketball for us apparently, like he was one of our star forwards and it's like – USC has a reputation for doing that. So DPS is not a great policing institution. It's incredibly racist and incredibly biased. But uh, they released a statement trying to assure the kids at USC that, quote, there is no evidence that the rumors of a gang war are credible or that there is any threat to our campus community. Essentially, after the Nipsey Hussle shooting, there was talk of a gang war erupting around USC and that there would be some sort of a crime spree targeting USC students because a lot of people at USC are afraid white people. And that's problematic when you're going to, to school there because you're not in a very white neighborhood because yeah, no. it's a very immigrant neighborhood. It's a very longstanding community neighborhood. Well, I, I, you know what? I take that back. It was. It's, and yeah, now like true. people like the Kims are evicting everyone. Gentrification is running amok. If you see those trains there, that's the fig, which Marquise Harris Dawson is really pushing as like necessary gentrification in order to like upscale that neighborhood and put in hundreds of hotel rooms at the cost of dozens of RSO units. And you're just like, you know what, if you're going to take away like 30 RSO units, maybe build, I don't know, 300 units of affordable supportive housing, maybe 300 units of public housing, not 300 effing hotel beds that are going to go for like 400 a night that no less Angelino is going to stay in. Like we don't stay in hotels because we already effing live here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Uh, but the taxes oh my God. on those hotel rooms go to the city coffers. Yeah, except for all the subsidies that they uh, cut them for building the hotel in the first yeah, place. Yeah, like yeah, That's yeah. why AEG is like, hey, we have this massive dumbass hotel, <laughs> but we need you to give us $100 million in tax subsidies in order to be able to afford to open it. It's like, oh. if you need an extra $100 million to open it, don't open the fucking hotel. But wait, doesn't this have something to do maybe with all of those donations get, that get made to, I don't know, certain Catholic high schools for certain... Uh, certain wives of certain city council members might work as fundraisers and, you know, things like that. If you're going to try and launder money (laughs) through a Catholic institution, you go through the Catholic (laughs) Church's bank. The Vatican Bank is like a completely sovereign institution, Uh, which is why the mafia used it for centuries. uh, So, like, if you're going to try and launder money through the church that I grew up in and have fond, incense-scented memories of, go through the Vatican Bank. Do it the old school way. Do it the mafioso way. Because if you don't, you end up with USB-sniffing dogs up in your house. (laughs) Yeah, Jose Huizar, take note. Yeah, no, so this has been, like, this is mass, this is messy, and as much as, like, we're making light of it, I do want to, you know, point out, like, Nipsey Hussle was trying to bring up his neighborhood in yeah, a way that was. some people haven't, mm-hmm. that a lot of folks who, like, get theirs, they move out of that area of town. He had a GQ shoot on Slauson. That stuff, like, I used to That's shoot hip-hop smart. videos in the jungle with some of the rappers I worked with. It is amazing how how much poverty exists so close to so much wealth in the city yeah. and you just don't see it as a white person. Like you have to actively look for and go into these communities. I remember going into the the jungles with this rapper I used to work with, Nift, and being told about how when they shot training day there, Denzel Washington paid like three apartment buildings worth of rent for the entirety of the shoot, like three months. He was paying everybody's rent around there because that's what the community needed. Wow. And these communities are in survival mode all the time. Yeah. They're attacked by the cops and now they're being shamed because they don't trust the cops. When that stampede happened, the cops didn't immediately move into facilitation and help mode. They moved into riot gear and push people out yeah. mode. It's disturbing to see that happening. It's also really disturbing to like, I wasn't here in 92. I, I was living in Arizona. 
things feel really chaotic and dangerous right now in a way that I don't think that the people in City Hall fully grasp. Like, the mind gap between those who have and those who have not is becoming wider, and the number of people who don't have enough is becoming greater while we're seeing more concentration of wealth. Like, there are 59 billionaires in this city. 59. That's insane. And at least one of them drinks the blood of young people. No, wait, I'm sorry. Transfuses (laughs) the blood of young people. This is really like these issues are going to keep coming up because the violence that we see from like random gun violence or, you know, in this case, sort of targeted gun violence, we see the same tropes of black on black crime. That's bullshit. The people who own the gun manufacturers are white as the driven fucking snow. This is not about black on black crime. This is about us flooding our entire country with weapons that kill and then wondering why all these people are dying. Remember, in this country for like the last five years, more toddlers were shot to death than cops. That is something that happens in America every, every year. And these sort of like very high profile instances of violence take on a life of their own are also used by LAPD and the people in power to justify more repressive tactics like As the Olympics are coming, this stuff's going to get worse because every opportunity to strengthen Metro Division, to strengthen the South L.A. Division, to give them more officers or more guns is going to lead to a more reactionary, a a bigger reaction from the community because the community's over-policed and is tired of this stuff. When we talked about this with the laser program, with predictive policing, all of this pressure, it has to go somewhere to metaphor, to, you know, make it into a metaphor. You can't just boil water continuously in a sealed container and not have that container explode explode and overflow. Yeah, and we saw what happened in 92 with the riots, and we really, really, really do not want to see that happen here again. Uh, one fun little statistic that was mentioned to me, and I haven't verified it, so I apologize if I'm a little bit off on this, but I believe it is the case that, because uh, this was during the, the 150th anniversary of the LAPD oh, celebration this morning, um, the number of cops who have been killed in the entire 150-year history of the Los Angeles Police Department uh, is fewer than the number of civilians that they've killed in the last five years. Existential rage. Might be ten years. But it's. Still, I mean, no. Matter. It's of course. It it's. It's no. Matter. It's insane. Like nearly at this point, it's four hundred sixty-three people that LAPD has er, and and LA County Sheriff's Department has killed while Jackie Lacey has been our district attorney. One cop, one cop, after seven years was finally charged. At the same time, I'm reading headlines about Lori Laughlin getting berated by a judge, and I'm like, imagine if you went after a cop the same way this one rich lady who, like, cheated to get her her kid into, like, an overpriced school. Two kids, but yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's... (laughs) No, you're you're, you're fully justified in your rage with this. Well, and it's it's one where also, like, after the sweeps, or the, the services not sweeps press conference, like, I'm very much acutely aware of how this stuff piles up for those of us at the bottom. And when you don't have enough money to afford rent and suddenly you're facing tickets all the time, no place to go to the restroom, cops who can arrest you for any any reason they want, who can throw out your medication that you might need, who can throw out your vital documents that you need, you begin to realize why our city, especially in these long, hot summers, feels like everyone's on edge because there is a huge percentage of the people living right next door to you in your neighborhood, probably in bushes that you don't see off of the freeway entrance by you, that are suffering all of the time. And the number of people that's happening to is getting bigger. And it's it's those trend lines aren't good. You know, like with the, the floods in the Midwest, uh, my climate change crisis stuff begins to kick in. And I'm like, This is when stuff begins to get really, really dangerous, and this is when the infrastructure that we failed to build really comes back to bite us in the ass. Uh, But so let's let's turn our eyes to Santa Monica, which (laughs) uh, everyone knows and loves as the the uh, rich uh, outpost on the sea that wants everyone to work there and pay taxes there, but nobody to live there because you can't afford a five million dollar house. They are finally shutting down their airport, which is good, uh, but they're building a giant park which is bad well i mean to be fair there is a massive shortage of green space here in the city and that's something that uh, i i will advocate for the creation of more green space at every opportunity but an op-ed was released in the los angeles times on monday morning by steve sharp which caused quite a stir over the following days 
as uh, Bushido mentioned, the Santa Monica Airport is closing down for good in 2028, and the city is currently planning on converting these, the 227-acre lot into a new massive green space. I mean, that's a lot of green space. That's it seems lot. excessively like green space. Like there's, there's other stuff you can do with that. And I remember well, at one point this was going to be like a Google campus or something. There was some talk about moving some businesses in there. Um, there's been lots of ideas about what to do at the Santa Monica Airport um, once it gets finally shut down, which the FAA delayed quite a bit. So <laughs> it's 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 gone through several different ideas of like, what do we do with gi- this gigantic gift of land? Yeah. So Steve Sharp's op-ed drew a lot of criticism because he justifiably called out the current plans as irresponsible given the dire need for more affordable housing in the coastal community. Sharp pointed out that Santa Monica's population grows by more than 150,000 people during the day as commuters are flocking to the city from across the entire Los Angeles basin for their jobs. He also pointed out that the population estimate for the city in 2019 was a whopping 92,478 residents, which was 4.7% more than what it held in 1970 when 88,289 folks called Santa Monica home. You know what? I bet that doesn't even count all the hotel rooms that are filled up. Like, that's got to be a couple tens of thousands <laughs> more people in Santa Monica and Venice that are staying there as tourists. Like, having having worked in Santa Monica at a place very close to, like, Colorado Boulevard, uh, during the day, it's hellish. Like, you will shank someone for a parking spot. It gets really desperate for the white-collar worker out there. Wow. Yeah, so the backlash that followed was swift, but not at all unexpected. The Los Angeles Times published a response from the readers today, a collection of letters to the editors, rather, that was entitled, quote, Building housing instead of a park at Santa Monica Airport would be a huge waste. Yeah, so... Um, I'm That's just a gonna... golf clap for the <laughs> golfers who obviously wrote into the LA Times. I'm just going to close this out real quick because we don't want to just dwell on this too much because we will definitely... No, because then we can go to the 300-acre <laughs> park and dwell on it and wonder where all the fucking housing is. Only 227, but whatever. The final letter to the editor included in the response came from one R.M. Zani uh, of Santa Monica included concluded with the amazing lines that, quote, What is happening in my ocean enclave note the word, is heartbreaking. We need more parks and fewer vertical compounds. Note the word. This feeling is not motivated by nimbyism. Note the word. Just a desire to live. You know, when people... (laughs) People can't see this, but your reaction has been priceless. Oh my, I I was going to yell real loud. And I was like, no. I have a. I, I'm going to share a, a, a an ace. Do tell. Go, go, go I'm going to share an ace witticism. Oh yeah. Uh, when people tell you who they are, believe them. Oh yeah. And like this is like here's the thing. So I I was. But if born, they say that they're not a NIMBY after saying that shit, don't believe them. Yeah. No. Exactly. And and it's it's, it's so like I grew up in Pacific Palisades for a bit, and I remember going to the pier when I was younger in like the mid '80s. And Santa Monica wasn't a great place. Like, it wasn't bad, but it wasn't, like, as nice as it is now. When I came back for USC, like, more than a decade later, um, pretty much 20 years later, uh, it was crazy to see things like the promenade and the million-dollar homes that had sprung up. And, like, I now have friends whose parents have, like, moved out of their house in the northern, you know, north of Montana part of Santa Monica and held on to it as a rental because they can rent a house that hasn't been updated since like the mid '90s, early '90s, for like five, six grand a month. That's insane. They're just prop thirteen money machines for these folks. Oh yeah. And as long as we've got that reactionary, like very uh, good reason to not sell. Like if I had a continually appreciating asset that like couldn't be taxed effectively. I wouldn't divest from that. Like, that's not a dumb financial move. You're insane to do so. Yeah, and it's also one reason why in Santa Monica, like, remember, Santa Monica is why we got Costa Hawkins, because Santa Monica uh, wanted to pass rent control, and one developer freaked the fuck out and bullied the assembly into passing Costa Hawkins, which only passed by, like, two votes. Like, it barely squeaked by. It was, like, middle-of-the-night stuff, should not have happened. Same thing with the Ellis Act. But basically, Santa Monica has always tried to ride this line between feeling welcoming and um, a place that's attainable and affordable and a place for families. Uh, But the lot of the residents there and the bills that they've gotten passed at the state level stop Santa Monica from doing that. And I remember, like, they're pretty much gone now, but there was a period of time where I had friends whose families had rent-controlled apartments. 
they would oh, hold wow. on to those for dear life. You know, eight hundred dollars for like a two bedroom at like Fourteenth oh, in Colorado, <laughs> like you like really nice spaces. But also, when you saw the apartment, you're like, yeah, no, that's a reasonable price to pay for this. It, you know, except for the insane market around it. Yeah, that's all been pushed out and Ellis act out. Like all of those buildings are pretty much gone, and we're seeing that me- now being pushed south to Venice, where we're seeing all of the RSO buildings being illegally converted into hotels. Something that like Power has been working on. Good job, guys. Not even just Airbnb, like straight up hotels. Oh. Like oh. it's even worse than that. Like a uh, Carl Lambert, um, uh, the the. He's a really shady landlord out there. And then we have the folks at the Ellison that I interviewed. But this oh, yeah. is becoming, yeah, this is becoming a thing where, like, now that it's harder to Ellis Act stuff uh, as easily because, like, the city is paying attention because it keeps noticing that, like, Ellis Act evictions are driving homelessness, uh, it, it's people are coming up with bolder and more innovative strategies to, you know, siphon money out of our economy. And one of those is just straight up illegal hotel conversions because they all know, like, you know what? If it takes the city five years to shut me down, that's five years of me having a building that's got 30 units in it that I can rent for $500 a night versus like the $50 a night that you're paying to rent it like long term. So as hotel rooms, you're making 10 times the money stashing that cash for five years. You're going to make way more profit than they find you. It's like with Wells Fargo when they make a billion dollars off of their fraud and the government's like, you owe us $10 million. And Wells Fargo's like fumbling around in the couch cushions looking for changes. Like, yeah, I think we got that somewhere. Like it doesn't hit their actual money. This is where whenever people commit these kinds of crimes that have massive financial gains, the fine that comes alongside the punishment for it really needs to make it so that at least – at the end of the day, the books don't balance out for the criminal. Yeah. They need to be hit with a fine that makes it cost more than the actual benefits that they derived from committing the crime. End well, of story. And, well, and that's the other thing is like you can't execute a corporation. No. It'll just get bought out by someone else. Like even Enron, like it kind of died, but it's, yeah. its assets just got sold off to other people. It's still, you know, in a, 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 a kind of like zeitgeist <laughs> sense, still alive. corpse. <laughs> but that deregulated notion of the of the energy market buying and selling credits, um, using public utilities for private gain. That idea is still out there. That's the thing that's so insidious about that version of of capitalism and corporatism is that like a corporation is essentially an immortal being, but it's it's also treated as a being within the law, but not one you can arrest or send to jail. And because the personifications of the corporation's power, people like the CEO who can't go to jail on the corporation's behalf, you basically just have unaccountable paper people who are just screwing us all over generation. Oh yeah, corporations are people, my friend. I uh, as one Mitt Romney. I'm a big fan of the saying. Dutch, but they <laughs> fucked up with that one. It was like the yeah. tulip market and creating corporations were two huge <laughs> missteps. Like clogs, windmills, all the rest of it I'm cool with. Hell yeah. But the corporations, especially those um, bike lanes they got now. It's it's so not fair. Like you look at you look at the Dutch and you're like, you have all the cool stuff, but you lose this terrible monster <laughs> on the world. You open Pandora's box and then we're like, oh crap, you know what? We're gonna do things different. Though I will have to say, uh, you know, the they they are pretty capitalist. Like one thing about like the the Scandinavian countries is they pretty much exist on fossil fuel money and that's a reckoning that they're gonna have to come to pretty soon because that's how they've been yeah. able to beat build these nice welfare states at the cost of our climate. So well, at least in Norway, yeah. There will be a rec well no for all of them. They they're really? all they're all oil and gas exporters. I thought that Sweden yes. didn't really have any reserves in Denmark. Well Sweden doesn't uh uh Denmark has a little they have a oh, lot of like green, offshore stuff. Greenland, yeah. yeah, and they also like they they um pool their money as the Scandinavian block ah. uh and are able to like invest in in each other's companies. So like the Norwegian hmm. oil companies have a lot of investment They've from got Finland an incredible and incredible yeah. amount of money. Yeah, but it's also problematic because like peak oil is pretty much here like we've gotten all the cheap oil it's hard to get cheap oil the scientists have kind of done the math and been like yo if society collapses uh we can't actually rebuild because we got all the easy to reach minerals and you can't really get to solar panels unless you have a fossil <laughs> fuel phase and we've gotten all the no. easy to get oil so when society collapses <laughs> we're not going to be able to reach this technological peak oh, again God. so whether that's good or bad for the universe, um, Vonnegut's had some thoughts on it. Um, <laughs> well, on that note. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and read Sirens of Titan to figure out what I feel on that one. But yeah, so let's go ahead and move on to uh, actually some hope in the world. So the CD12 yeah. election 
is giving me a lot of hope because there are some really strong progressive candidates uh, and a couple of them are doing really quite well. So let's go ahead and break this down because we haven't talked about it in a few weeks. Some really big news broke this week and also Ground Game is doing some some nifty stuff around CD12. Well, so first something that broke, uh, I think it was two weeks ago, was uh, Serena Oberstein, who is a former member of the Los Angeles City Ethics Commission, has been removed from the list of qualified candidates for this upcoming special election in CD12. Oberstein's disqualification from the race is a result of a judge determining that the narrow reading of a law that bars former members of the Ethics Commission from seeking elected office for at least two years following their time in, in on the commission uh, is the appropriate reading versus what her uh, counsel was trying to argue and that it was supposed to be specifically about targeting individual elected members by the Ethics Commission and... Yeah, it gets real complicated. Well, and, and this was something that had dogged her from day one. As yeah. soon as she announced, people were like, is that legal? Uh, Frank Ferry specifically made a lot of noise about it. And he's kind of the one motivating this lawsuit through. But this was not something that was unanticipated totally. Yeah, exactly. So Frank Ferry is the one who filed this suit. And he is the most prominent Republican candidate for the 12th district seat of the Los Angeles City Council. And it is also worth noting that that seat had been the sole conservative voice on the council while it was being held by Mitch Englander. One of the weird things when I was knocking doors for Katie Hill was talking to Democrats uh, around the Porter Ranch area who were like, oh yeah, Mitch Englander, he's the only Republican we'll vote for, but he's friends of ours at at the golf club. So (laughs) it kind of made sense. Oh boy. Uh, It's also worth pointing out here that Frank Ferry had previously served on the Santa Clarita City Council, opting not to seek re-election in 2014 in order to spend time with his family and also get married. Uh, Ferry contended that he would have filed this suit against anyone who had previously served on the Ethics Commission less than two years prior to running for office, regardless of party affiliation, just so happens to have been a Democratic uh, challenger. Um, The suit is purported to have cost him $15,000. It, being independently wealthy makes it a lot easier to be kind of an absolutely crap candidate and try and yeah. make yourself relevant, even if you're not polling well. So let's uh, get into those totals here. So yeah. uh, the current fundraising totals, because this weekend was the final day uh, before the candidates were required to file their fundraising numbers with the city. Uh, And unfortunately, those numbers are still being listed by the city. So I don't have everything up to date completely. But here's what we've got as far as what we know at this point in time. Frank Ferry has a whopping $202,000 in his campaign, all from a personal loan that he made to the campaign. Uh, Lorraine Lundquist is the next uh, person who has raised the most money. She's got $34,800 in her campaign coffers. I'm going to chime in and say it should be Dr. Lorraine Lundquist. Dr. Lorraine Lundquist. Because she is a climate scientist. Yes, she is. And women PhD, she get the bump. Absolutely, and she is very cool. Uh, Jay Berber is the next one on the list with $30,000. Scott Abrams comes up next with $25,000. Serena Oberstein, before being disqualified, had raised $20,550. Carlos Amador, we believe, is around $6,500 heading into that last day of campaigning, but I haven't seen anything released from his campaign yet. Uh, Josh Yeager was listed at 10,000 last we checked. John Lee was either at a thousand or possibly 1800, depending on what was going on. But the filings were a little bit unclear. And John Lee himself comes with baggage. He was, uh, Mitch Englander's chief of staff. He was accused of sexually harassing a female colleague. The city ended up settling after he was dropped directly from the lawsuit, but the city did end end up paying out, uh, on these harassment allegations. He's kind of baggage left over from Mitch Englander. And his big thing before the election was he came out against road diets because I guess he just oh, wanted fun. to prove he's never met a good idea he didn't like. <laughs> well, regardless, he seems to be uh, down in the pretty pretty far bottom of the uh, fundraising list. So yeah, we'll for see someone, how that goes. It, here in L.A., it tends to go, you become somebody's chief of staff and then you follow them into city council when they finally turn out. Uh, I'm hoping to see that start breaking in the cycle. You know, that's that's how uh, we got Mitch O'Farrell because he was Garcetti's chief of staff when Garcetti was the rep for uh, uh, City Council District 13. So and, uh, you know, Mike Bonin, who I'm actually, you know, pretty fond of as far as city council members go. He worked for uh, Bill Rosendahl. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of this weird, you know, as you serve as as chief of staff, you're almost handed an elected position. It's not nepotism, but. But that's also changing because we no longer have these off-year elections. So it's it's going to be people actually showing up. Uh, Let's talk about this voter forum the Ground Game's got going on, because this one's going to be a lot of fun. I hope hope you all come out and join us for this. 
So this event is going to be hosted by Ground Game Los Angeles, Food and Water Watch California, alongside the League of Women Voters, Americans for Democratic Action of Southern California, Save Porter Ranch, and the SoCal, SoCal Environmental Coalition and Power, bringing you the first candidate forum of City, City Council District 12's special election, which is going to be coming up on June 4th. And where's that going to be? That event is going to be held on Sunday, April 14th from 2 till 4 in the afternoon at the Temple Ahavat Shalom in Northridge. So the address for that is 18200 Rinaldi Place, Northridge, California, 91326. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. I'm, I'm pretty excited. And uh, the last thing I wanted to flag for you all as we uh, kind of head into the outro here is the Green New Deal Road Tour is coming to L.A. There's going to be nine flagship stops across the nation. There's one in Paradise, uh, but then the one on April 26th is going to be right here in L.A. We're going to be at the Wilshire Ebel Theater, uh, which is right by the Marciano Art Foundation, from 6 until 9 about, well, doors start at 7, uh, or uh, sorry, program starts at 7, doors are at 6.30, uh, we'll be done by 9. It's going to be a really fun night. We have tickets online. If you want to go to bit.ly slash GNDLA, no spaces or hyphens or anything in there, just GNDLA, you can buy tickets anywhere from five bucks to 10 bucks to 50 bucks. If you can afford the 50 bucks, you'll be helping to subsidize other people to get cheaper tickets. You'll also be helping make sure that like Sunrise doesn't lose a ton of money on this, which you're not planning, but it would be nice to like break even and have this go really, really well. It'd also be fun to like see our friends and party. We're going to have some really good speakers up there, uh, including local leaders, a few local politicians, and then a really, really special musical guest. But I can't say who it is, but it's totally going to be worth it if you pay the $50. But if you can't pay the 50 bucks, five or 10 is going to be good. Again, April 26th at the Ebel Theater in Mid-Welshire. Uh, I really hope to see you all there because I'm kind of like the lead on this. So like if it goes over poorly, <laughs> I'll feel really bad. Yeah, don't screw up. But uh, also look out. There's going to be some <laughs> posters getting hung up around town. And uh, definitely we're going to be smashing the share button on uh, social media stuff. Um, the Sunrise LA Hub is doing some really, really cool stuff. And we will have a hub meeting coming up on May 6th if you want to get involved, if you can't make it out to the uh, road tour on the 26th. But then even before the 26th, we're going to have some uh, time to come party with the rest of us at Ground Game because we've got our first like actual fundraiser event happening, and I- I'm pretty excited. Yeah, so this is going to be the Spring Breakdown People Power Happy Hour. Uh, it's uh, going to be held at 1700 Nod, which is... Uh, the address as well as the name of the venue. Yeah, it's over like the warehouse district by uh, the State Historic Park. So you yeah. can you can hop off at the Chinatown Station and walk there. Uh, a ride share is good. Parking around there a little, eh, not, not the greatest, skip, but skip it won't be parking. too bad. Also, it's going to be $30 to get in. Uh, there's going to be a good amount to drink available. Yeah, it's, so that. here's the thing. It's $30 to get in, but that's all you can drink. Yeah. We're sponsored by PBR. So um, They don't <laughs> so maybe don't drive, know about that. Because you don't want to park. <laughs> no, but we, we uh, the venue has been really super generous with us, and so we've got a really good hookup on alcohol. So we'll also have some soju cocktails and stuff, but just like the laws of the city of Los Angeles, we're not allowed to sell alcohol there. So we're just doing all-in-one. Trust me, you'll get your $30 worth. Absolutely. So uh, come on out and party with the Ground Game and Power folks and help us make sure that we can fund uh, trips for people who live in public housing and are extremely active in the uh, organizing space to fight for tenants' rights. Go out to this uh, organizing convention that's being hosted by People's Action Network out in uh, D.C. at the end of the month. So yeah, this is really important. It helps to make sure that our, our, our friends in power are able to actually afford to go and do these things. To kind of put a fine point on this, uh, Ashley Bennett, one of our organizers here at Ground Game, went out with People's Action Network to talk to senators about housing bills. Yeah, the The proposals that they took to Senator Warren helped make up Senator Warren's housing platform on a presidential campaign. These trips, us getting leaders into rooms with electeds, has real impact. This isn't just like pay for ground game to take a vacation to D.C. This is pay for ground game to level up and actually make an impact on national policy. So like if you can come and do this, if you can pay the 30 bucks, it is going to be a lot of fun. We are a lot of fun to party with. Uh, It's one reason why I keep hanging around. What's the time again? It starts at 9 p.m. or 10? It starts at 7 p.m. and oh, it goes wow. and it early. goes and it goes till 11. So uh, come early and uh, have some fun because the the night's going to end a little bit early, but I'm sure that something will continue after the fact. Yeah, and uh, it's going to be a great one. So hopefully we'll see you all there. But uh, before that, we will see you all next week with some more of the news. Uh, thank you for sticking with us on this one. It's been you know another long week in LA. Yes, it has.